0: VinePair's Pair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter.
1: And I'm Joanna Sherino.
2: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal.
0: And this is the Friday Vine Pair Podcast.
1: We're a little low energy here, Adam. <sighs> What's going on?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I've been sitting down in the studio waiting to record this for like an hour now. <laughs> I got the time wrong. <laughs> uh-huh so i've just been working from the studio and i've just been like
1: you lost your energy yeah you had that You I had it
0: well I, I i had the coffee too too early mm-hmm. so i should i thought we were recording at th- you know three we're recording at three thirty. um so i had the coffee at two instead of two thirty. you know so it's like i'm in the crash right now <laughs> so it's just you know i don't know anyways what are you guys reading
1: Well, for me this week, a lot of great stuff on the site, but um, we ran a piece from Rich Manning exploring the kind of duality of New Orleans drinking culture and drinking scene, kind of this idea that Bourbon Street exists and it's a very specific type of experience that people are looking for, but then you have like this wonderful cocktail culture happening there as well, and how they both kind of coexist and what it means for the city, and kind of why they're both important. Um, So I thought that piece was Mm -hmm. really interesting. What about you, Zach?
2: Well, that piece definitely called to me as well an interesting sort of juxtaposition of the many sort of facets of Bourbon Street itself, to say nothing of New Orleans drinking culture. But I think the other piece, a couple of other pieces that I really enjoyed on the site, but the one that I want to mention is a piece called conquering nature about the most challenging vineyards to harvest I Think just ran today as we're uh, recording. And I think the thing I enjoyed about this is every time I read about these things, and I've had the privilege of visiting a couple of these regions and seeing some of these vineyards and others as well with really, really steep, difficult to harvest vineyards. And you just are reminded, I am reminded every time I visit or read about these places, just how desperate people were to get drunk um, throughout history like you look at some of this stuff and you're like man y'all yeah, fuckers true. needed a drink real bad and this was the only option available to you is like here's a 65 degree vertical slope why don't we plant grapes there and then try and pick them and like yeah maybe every year someone will die literally die trying to pick these grapes and mm-hmm. we're not going to be like hmm, maybe we should stop it's like nah we need more so I mean, to me, maybe maybe a weird way to be sort of encouraged about uh, you know the the wine industry slash drinking, but like it, it is an important reminder that you know drinking has always been appealing to people. It's not a, not a new phenomenon. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. how about you, Adam?
0: For me, the most interesting was the um, the glorious gayness of the vodka soda. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a really interesting piece. Um, you know having sort of friends in the community, knowing that like the vodka soda is a huge drink in the gay community. um, I was like really interested to sort of learn through Zach, like what, how that happened and sort of what the tensions are now between it and the tequila soda of Mm -hmm. a younger generation and how some people like, feel like it should still continue to be the vodka soda forever and never anything else. And it's being referred to as gay water, which I thought was really interesting. So it's just a really fun read about sort of like this culture that has been in love with this drink for a very, very long time, even though it sort of tends to ebb and flow in its relevance in more like mainstream culture. Yeah. In gay culture, it really is still the drink of all times, which was just great to read.
1: Yeah. I like that piece as well.
2: I enjoyed it as well, and I think a thing that I actually thought about while reading it and that's actually oddly connected to our topic for today was I also wondered if the popularity of the vodka soda in part arose from the fact that, you know, it's – if you were the kind of person who didn't either want to drink at all or wanted to slow your drinking down because you were maybe out at a gay bar for other reasons besides just drinking, that, like, you could do so very discreetly. Like, it's one of the easiest drinks to, you know, replace with just soda water, and no one's going to yeah. know – And like, I've always thought about how interesting that is and other, other drinks in the same vein of, you know, clear spirit, clear mixer, but, but the vodka soda, most of all is kind of, I think the one that is easiest to kind of, you know, no one's going to really notice if you decide to switch over to just soda waters at some point in the evening.
1: Yeah,
0: totally. So what's our topic today, Zach?
2: Yeah, well, uh, on the topic of things that are way more bizarre, but still non-alcoholic than just soda water, you know, I was, I wanted to bring this up because we've seen a couple of examples of late that highlight what I think is just the absolute lunacy in the NA space right now. And and the two that, that have, I think, come to light of recent, uh, you know, vintage are the news that White Claw is launching a not hard seltzer, but like, you know a, a non-alcoholic a heart non-alcoholic hard seltzer. Hard seltzer yes <laughs> yeah yes, you sorry. The, spin spindrift the, <laughs> the, the, the wording there is very important well i don't even think it's gonna have fruit juice in it it's like just no. what if we made you white claw but it, we didn't put alcohol in it or i guess took the alcohol out unclear how it's going to be made and then this other just gem that was in slack the other day which is <laughs> from this uh company called oropora which is uh, they're calling it an olive oil martini but it's actually just sparkling water and olive oil um, which sounds disgusting. Just I mean, on. doesn't sound enjoyable, and also very interesting to me that a product that could have very easily been sold with a different kind of labeling is being packaged as a you know olive oil martini. I, I've never <laughs> had a martini that was sparkling. Or, I mean, I guess you can, but we're getting pretty far afield from what a no, martini it Just proves
0: is. that like p- that people think they can sell anything to anyone. It's like. You know, people who just believe that, like, <laughs> y- you, y- you'll just buy whatever shit they say it is. It's yeah, like exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's what we've come to in America, by the way. <laughs> we've come to this position where, like, all these stupid entrepreneurs think they can tell you. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, this is, this is impossible meat. This is, like, just like burgers. No, it's not. It doesn't taste at all like a hamburger. Don't
1: you love impossible meat? I, yes,
0: but as what it is, <laughs> right? It is fake fucking meat. Mm-hmm. Just say, mm-hmm. it's fake meat that tastes fake. It doesn't taste like meat. Don't tell me it tastes like meat. This is our
1: snack wells conversation, guys. Come on. The impossible chicken
0: nugs Mm -hmm. are just fake chicken. It doesn't taste like chicken. Stop with this crap. And then I mean, I'm sorry. It just it's so fucking ridiculous. Another F bomb, I had to. But like this woke me up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like the fact
0: that as as Zach is saying, like, it's sparkling water and olive oil. First of all, disgusting. Second of all, (laughs) that's not a martini. Like at least serve it in the little tiny cans and pretend it's like a tip top, you know, like like tip top, mm-hmm. but pretend it's like a non. Oh my god, I can't. Okay, Let's it's eat. more
1: than that. It's more than that. What there's, else is it,
0: olive brine? No,
1: there's vermouth. Yes, olive olive flavoring and grape juice and vermouth flavoring and yuzu juice and that's it, I think. I can't, I can't. But yeah, generally ridiculous. It's also. Being released with this very, very hot, trendy olive oil company.
0: Yeah, where they serve their olive oil in plastic bottles. Squeeze which, bottles. Squeeze bottles, which is actually bad for olive oil. And if you talk to any serious olive oil purveyor, they will tell you that any quality olive oil would never be sold in a plastic bottle because it actually degrades the olive oil faster. So congratulations, people who've all become suckers and are buying super expensive olive oil out of a plastic squeeze bottle. Don't
2: Good you, for mean, you. Don't you mean pizza oil? Yeah, pizza exactly. Oil. I, I hate that okay. crap, man.
0: At least hot honey's a
2: thing. Yeah. Honey's I want to get to a broader point here than just yes. trashing this drink, <laughs> which deserves to be trashed, to be clear. But the, the question the thing I really wanted to ask about is twofold. One is why do we, why are we seeing, I think even in some ways, even more bizarre innovation, or if you can call it that in the NA space, I feel like you're seeing even more kind of cockamamie stuff here than in the drinks space. And two, and this kind of comes back to something broader that I want to ask about when we are talking about NAs that are maybe more legitimately attempting to be not a just non-alcoholic drink, but a, but a kind of the impossible meat version of a drink. Is it, do you see it as being better, either from a marketing or from a taste standpoint, to be a de alcoholized version of an existing category, i.e., like de alcoholized wine or beer or whatever, spirit, et cetera? Or will cut some of these kind of like products that are, I guess, for lack of a better word, kind of these amalgamations of flavors that attempt to get to the flavor of the drink they are mimicking, but never, but alcohol is never a part of it. It's not making the drink or the thing and then removing the alcohol it's you know kind of frankensteining it together to taste as close to it as possible and so to me that this is the this is a topic that or a sort of dynamic that I'm not even sure myself how I feel about but I'm curious what the two of you think about this and and whether you see any potential for either one of those categories cuz despite all of our sort of takes on this there's some audience for an NA drinking experience that feels special. I mean, I think that is an undeniable thing. How big it is, how much growth potential it has, those are things we can also discuss, but just there there's some audience for this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the challenge with the category from the start is has always been, you know, how how can you capture the flavor of something especially in alcohol where it's like it's so much more than just the flavor, right? It's the texture. We have this wonderful article about it actually about um Non-alcoholic spirits and how they're trying to evoke these certain things and how it's very challenging and all the different components that go into it and I think for these drinks, yeah, it's like do you try to be de alcohol de alcoholized right de alcoholized wine or do you not even attempt it? Do you try to be some sort of elixir that is drunk in the same way as wine? Um, I think it's it's challenge that that type of product is more challenging to get right than some cockamamie concoction
0: cockamamie all of it's
2: cockamamie i
1: I know it is (laughs) but but they're kind of falling into these two buckets right
2: yeah i mean i think sometimes it's hard for me to understand you know like the the sort of straightforward sort of argument for a de-alcoholized version of a alcoholic product is that like you know we've made the thing and then we've taken the alcohol out and maybe we've replaced some of that texture and whatever mm-hmm. with, you know, with something else to kind of add usually some sugar. body. Yeah. Usually sugar. Yep. Um, and okay. You know, and I think, I guess the, the sort of thing is like, do we think those two products are targeting the same market? And also, I guess, you know, I I kind of feel like mm. At least with a case of the dealcoholized product, I understand in a way why why I'm paying what I might be paying for it because presumably making the initial alcoholic product is just as difficult as making the you know the, the dealcoholized version, or I'm sorry, making the dealkalized version is as difficult as making the regular sort of standard version with alcohol, and then you are doing something else to it to remove it. So okay, there's a, co- a production cost associated with that. It's probably not super high, and I do think that the NA category kind of just gleefully being like we're going to charge you exactly as much as the alcoholic version or more uh, is a weird stance to take i don't know if it's great for growth honestly um, especially when compared to other sort of beverages that don't have alcohol in them that are much more affordable and quite similar but i don't know adam i feel like what what do you think
0: i mean i think that the non-alcoholic world and the ridiculousness that we're seeing now is the perfect example of people misinterpreting data Mm -hmm. and no one who actually is a quote unquote market leader of the space willing to admit how much they're actually selling or who their market is. And this being a buzzword because at this point we are in a current cultural mindset where we are, we feel, uh, and I think this will change, but I think we are currently at a a point in in our sort of culture where we feel bad, guilty about vices, and so we are looking for ways to still say that that it's not about, you know, we can still like the flavor but not like the effect type thing. Like, no one's – there's no, you know – no THC weed out there. No one's trying to smoke weed for the flavor. They want to get high. <laughs> like people are taking ketamine now without knowing the you know the actual long term effects of their health because they think that's better than alcohol. People are dropping acid all of a sudden. Because they think that's better than alcohol. People are taking way more you know in- insane drugs than they ever have before. To say you know mushroom people are drinking mushroom tea and all this shit because they say it's better than alcohol. But at least with alcohol we know what the long-term health effects are. We've had enough studies of them to know, like, yes, it will affect you in a, a multitude of ways if, mm-hmm. you, if you drink, but we don't know from these other drugs. And I do think that, you know, that whole thing happening in the, like, alternative drug space is helping to fuel the no-alcohol space. People are saying, well, there, if there's so many people who are taking alternative drugs besides alcohol and tobacco, then they must be, you know, th- the only place to still have some sort of a, alcohol business must be in the non-alcohol space. And I don't actually think that that's realistic. And I don't think that that's reflective of the way the market actually works. I think we're going to see a lot of these companies go out of business. A lot of them probably already have. Um, I think a lot of these businesses are lifestyle businesses. I don't think that a lot of these businesses are going to be bought by anyone. I think that in the olive oil soda example that we're (laughs) calling or olive oil water example. I think it's a really great opportunity for a oil that's packaged in crappy packaging uh, with cheap oil from wherever they get it from to convince you to pay $20 for a a squeeze bottle. It's a great opportunity for them to have a brand brand extension where more people look at their crappy oil uh, and will then potentially also ingest it through drinking um, probably because they have excess oil. Right. I mm. bought too much and need to put it into another package. But I really think that it's just it's a lot of noise without any factual data. No one's been able to produce realistic data that shows that this is a significant category that everyone should actually be paying attention to. All we continue to see are trend pieces that lack any significant data that say that no ALK is growing. And when you when you see people cite data, they cite crazy shit like half of Gen Z doesn't drink. Well, yeah, of course half of Gen Z doesn't drink because the majority of them are under 21. So, yeah, that is true, but they don't say, no one is polling what's actually happening at colleges and and I think that this this boils down to the the problem that you hear over and over and over again in the world of drinks, which is that just when you talk to drinks professionals in the drink space who sell drinks regularly, they say there is a alarming lack of true sales data, even in the drink space to understand what trends look like and where things are headed and whether or not we're going to see an update and the ability to predict what is happening in drinks is extremely hard. Yeah. For most major companies in the drinks world. So all of a sudden, if they're seeing a thousand Vogue, L, Esquire, et cetera, pieces about how such and such celebrity doesn't drink anymore and it's a growing trend, they start all thinking we must, you know, go into the no alk space. And then what do smart entrepreneurs do? Say, well, they're not going to you know, innovate here. I will create the innovation that they will buy. Yeah, but I think we the expansion, and then you have sucker writers who like free stuff, who take this stuff and write about it for their large scale population, pop, you know, publications owned by SEO driven, you know, companies, because they like to get free stuff, and they wind up writing these pieces, and then these brands say they have validation because such and such publication that used to be respected in the '70s or '80s, you know, but now really <laughs> isn't. Has covered us, and therefore this must be a thing. It's yeah. just—it's a cyclical thing that continues to happen, and it's just nuts. And we just got to get off this hamster wheel and stop talking about it. And I'm sick of it already. And I'm done. And I woke up, and I—that's I, it. That's <laughs> all I'm saying today.
1: Just—if
0: <laughs> you want to drink olive oil water, g- just take a shot of olive oil, mix it with some sparkling water that you can make with your soda <sighs> stream, and tell me how it is. I'm sure it's gross. Stop it.
1: And have a great weekend. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What I think is really interesting about this, though, because I agree with all of that, Adam, um, is that then you have companies like White Claw, monsters like White Claw, being like, oh, yeah, we're going to get in on this, too. As totally crazy as that is, right? This, This brand that literally created the category. Okay, didn't literally create it, but like, you know is the biggest in the category is like now we're going to create a non-alcoholic version of hard seltzer which was originally a hard version of non, an, a non-alcoholic non drink um, because they believe there is a market for it and I think that is so fascinating right because like we know that there isn't or like it is just you know the responsibility or the the um, you know the effect of Publications writing about it and stuff like that. But, but yeah, then you have this massive company being like, okay, well, we might as well get in on this too. So I'm really curious to see well, how something like that works. The White
0: out. Claw effect is basically the White Claw effect is a different example. I think looking at White Claw compared to crappy olive oil sparkling yeah, water, they're totally different, right? Is different. What White Claw is doing is everything that Mountain Dew did on the other side is saying, right. we. We're this brand that now people, people associate with seltzer. Yeah. Why don't we capture every single occasion where they drink seltzer? Yep. I think it's insane. I think it's crazy. But <laughs> I, but I think that it's I don't think that White Claw is convinced that, you know, that, that they need the 12 the year old market. You know, oh, we should be the non-alcoholic seltzer for the bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. Oh, parties. no. I don't think so. I think they want you to drink White Claw. If you like the flavor. Yeah. And there are certain times that you don't want to drink alcohol with your White Claw, but you really love White Claw. What's the t- most popular flavor? Black cherry?
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I don't me. drink it. I don't drink White Claw. You know, that you could have that flavor over the course of your week. Right. Even during occasions when you don't want to have alcohol.
1: Or it's like Zach said earlier, right? You drink vodka soda all night until you want to switch over to just. So. Self- yep. And exactly. then you can still be holding your can of White Claw, but actually at some point it switched over to non-alcoholic right. I don't White think Claw. that that,
0: I still think it's, again, it's insane. I don't think the market's as massive as one might think. I don't think it is either. But every other brand has done this extension for the most part, right? Like there's so many other non-alcoholic drinks brands that are. Playing in the alcoholic space, all of a sudden, that we can't fault White Claw for then playing the opposite way.
1: Right. Well, Dave actually, Dave and Fonte wrote a great hop take on this a few weeks ago. Just like, of course, they would take this opportunity. Why wouldn't they? To and you know, we're gonna peddle it to our unsuspecting consumers. And uh, yeah,
0: that one I think I don't fault them. That one I don't think is is as bad. I think that just like the growing non-alcohol brands with the like non-alcohol version of a martini or the non-alcohol, ver- it's just enough already.
2: Well, and I think the other point that I sort of alluded to earlier, but I want to mention here too, is I think the other reason to be very skeptical of the sustainability of this, if there even is a trend, is that I just don't think there is widespread appetite for paying you know, high-end alcohol prices for non-alcoholic products. The reason that people, one of the main reasons why people are willing to pay more for alcohol than they are for other beverages is because of what alcohol does to you. And yes, in this country, yep. you know, it's it's more heavily taxed. And so therefore the cost is higher on the producer and things like that. And, you know, the people who sell it to you, whether they're retailers or uh, you know, restaurants, bars, et cetera, you know, there's much higher insurance liability requirements and things like that. So there are more costs associated with selling alcohol, producing alcohol than there are with producing non-alcoholic beverages. And I just don't think there's a lot of appetite out there for people spending, you know, the kind of money that these products are demanding. I mean, it, it's a thing we've, I think, at least alluded to on the podcast before, but I, I remain kind of dubious about the long-term viability of the $15 NA drink on yep. a bar list. Like, I think that at some point people are gonna be like, you know what, like if I'm not getting a, an actual drink with alcohol in it, I, I want a $3 soda water. I agree with you.
1: Yeah, the times in the past where I've ordered the NA drink because I was pregnant, I got it just to have it, and then I ordered like club soda after yeah. that. Yeah,
0: they're also usually very sweet.
1: They're sweet. They're yeah. It's not worth. It's not worth the money to have multiple.
2: No, but I think yeah. and I think the fundamental piece of it is is like in a way for unless you are. I mean, I just I, there's not zero audience for those, but the extent to which so much of the enthusiasm that has been espoused by certain people within the industry, within the trade, you know, look, I get it. If you are a bartender who's made the very understandable decision to be, to no longer drink because your relationship to alcohol was unhealthy and you find expressing creativity in your NA beverage program to be more viable for you because it feels more true to your own, you know, experience and, and you don't really want to be making, you know, or creating uh, alcoholic cocktails anymore because you don't feel like you can taste them, you know, safely or whatever. That's all understandable, but it is a little bit of, like, a really inside baseball conversation that just doesn't have a lot of broad, you know, application. And I know this because I've talked to people who run bar programs, and I'm very curious whenever they have extensive NA programs. And what they say is, like, you know, they do them in many cases because they find it interesting, but, you know, they sell a handful of them a night. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not a big part. Because in the end, you know, people don't out to drink, you know, adults don't out to drink juice together. Like, just name no. what people do. I mean, look, this week I had a few lunch
0: meetings, and at all the lunch meetings I chose not to drink, but at one of them I had a feeling that one of my guests would drink, Mm -hmm. and I'd gotten to the restaurant before them, and I just ordered an an Arnold Palmer, and it – came in a very nice highball glass with a nice lemon garnish and when they came to the table they're like, "Oh, what are you drinking?" I am going to have a I'm going to have a spritz. Like what what alcohol cocktail is that? And I was like, "Oh, it's an Arnold Palmer." <laughs> like, but if if I would wanted someone to think that it wasn't, I could have easily gotten away with that. And guess what? On the bill it was like $4. Right. You know, I mean, and I I just think that yeah, again, that is something that people have the stomach to pay for, which is just a standard drink. They don't have the sum to pay for a non alcoholic drink at $18, $15, et cetera, which is, again, the same price as the cocktails. I, yeah, it's just, I, I continue to just believe that this market is not one that we are going to see grow much further. You know, we're about to enter. I, I, I have to say, like, I've gotten a lot less pitches so far this month for Sober Tober. Than I did even two months two years ago. Yeah. Like it felt like, oh my God, we're going to another sober month. Now I really don't feel like I've gotten many at all. Mm-hmm. Like I think again, people have just kind of decided, like, if you choose to not drink, that's great. It's a lifestyle decision. I don't know. Who knows what's gonna happen with dry January this year? Yeah. I, I don't really know. But again, it's it's one of these things where it's like, find the balance that's good for you in your life with this stuff and like I just don't think that there's a lot of people that choose to drink these things when they're not drinking. And the market for these kinds of drinks continues to be people, I do believe, who have a health reason for why they're not drinking, for the most part.
1: I think the one area where we're going to see some staying power is in beer. I agree with that. Yeah. Because I think you can manage those prices a little bit better.
0: Yeah. I mean, athletic is not that expensive. Right. Compared to regular craft beer, and it delivers a lot of flavors that are similar, and
1: and it's the same experience, right?
0: I mean, I look again. If I'm choosing not to drink for me, it's also like health and wellness related. So I don't really want the the bread, right? The liquid bread. But yes, I think for some people they're interested in that, and that works for them. Um, so yes, but I think again, like there will be one, and it's athletic, like, yeah. They they are non-alcoholic. They are the non-alcoholic beer. Brands.
1: I don't know. We've re- visited a few breweries lately and have seen a lot of um, non-alcoholic stuff on their menus, right? In their tap rooms. I mean,
0: some, but I don't think, maybe regionally, but if you're talking about a national brand. Oh, sure, sure, sure. The brand is athletic. Okay. yeah. And someone will buy them and that's it. Mm-hmm. They were very smart. It's a great name. Yeah. You know. And, 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 a,
2: and, and a beer has a long established History of being a part of the market. I mean, true, it's not a new creation. Obviously, it's it's existed. There have been a number of brands that have been quite successful. In fact, more successful than Athletic, even in their time. Oh, duels, yeah, you know, uh, St. Pauli Girl, etc. Like these things existed and still exist in some cases, and were you know had a real audience. um You know, not not as big as obviously you know beer with alcohol in it, but but enough of an audience to remain viable products for decades at a time. I just think it's the, all the other stuff where I think. Either it's a price point or a quality or a both problem. I mean, I've tried a lot of, you know, both uh, deacolized wine and wine substitutes, I guess you would call them, for lack of a better word. And some of them have been interesting. Some of them have been, frankly, terrible. So A lot of them have been like, eh, okay, but I'm not someone who doesn't drink. So where is the what is the point for me of a. bottle of a thing that isn't wine that tastes enough, like, you know, I I don't quite share your total aversion to the impossible burger and stuff. I think it, you know, depending on how it's made and how it's dressed up, it can be a pretty convincing burger facsimile if you're not paying super close attention. But you know, paying super close attention is what I like to do with wine. So this stuff doesn't really work for me, because I'm like, well, the thing that it doesn't have i.e. the alcohol is not a thing i'm concerned with generally and this other stuff it doesn't have i.e. like quite the same texture flavor in you know stuff like that is discernible and some of these drinks are interesting they deliver an interesting drinking mm-hmm. experience but is interesting on its own without the you know kind of other stuff really going to do it for me or for other people well, i'm very dubious
0: yeah yeah and we haven't even gotten to, like, the crazy non-alcohol brands that have all the adaptogens in it that claim to you that oh, they yeah. make no, I mean, no, no. those are even, like, more batshit to me and, like, full of pseudoscience that we can't prove and we don't even know what, like, long-term effects some of these, you know, herbs and, and random things that Mushrooms, someone found in the desert, you know, do to you if you continue to consume them like you would alcohol. So, again, like, just stop. <laughs> like it's so
2: annoying I
1: think it's going to collapse
2: I can't Soon. wait I just want to know if anyone out there is drinking olive oil it's like in it's at Starbucks now it's so weird to yeah, me yeah like,
1: that's a different story that's well, a different conversation
0: I know people from certain countries you know I, I've like Italian friends, Greek friends that are said their their grandparents would take like a shot of oil, olive oil in the morning, okay, as like a protectant to fortify themselves. Yes. Yeah. I've heard of it before, like a big meal for sure. Yeah, people oh. think it like cleanses the liver, things like that. Again, we've not studied enough to know. You're just basically drinking oil, right? <laughs> but I don't think a lot of people want to do that. And again, <laughs> if I'm gonna have an olive oil martini, I'd like there to be gin in it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wasn't all the like weren't the uh, Starbucks olive oil drinks like giving everyone diarrhea?
0: Well, don't. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you drink oil, yeah. it's it. It basically lubricates digestive tract. It's basically like you. You know, you're All just right, now. Taking, it's really
1: time to
2: wish people a happy weekend. And move you're on. just
0: taking Ex-Lax or something. I like know. basically, you know what? I just thought of it. This the olive oil in the squeeze bottle is just like an enema. It looks like an enema. <laughs> no, no, so no, 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 no. So no. basically, you are cooking with an enema. Everyone have a great weekend. We will uh. see you back here on Monday. I leave it to you. Come at me, bro. Come at me. Take it easy.
2: <laughs> Sounds
0: great. Wow.
1: Oh. Woo, <laughs> that was hot.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The VinePair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Treball's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Bear Podcast Network.